Well, greetings, everybody, and welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Fredland, delighted to bring you this week's episode with Brian Soja, one of the fantastic guys I've gotten to know in the Minnesota poker community and a very dangerous player as well. And I think you're going to enjoy the conversation that I had with Brian. I want to give a shout out to uh, Running Aces Casino and Harness Park, our official sponsor, as well as the Free Poker Network, who is also sponsoring the program. Uh, we've recorded this prior to my going out to Las Vegas, so while you're listening to this, hopefully I'm in day two of the marathon. Started on Monday, we're releasing this on Tuesday. Hopefully I'll be in the marathon a few more days uh, as well. So going out there with a few guys, we're also going to play some dailies. So we'll give you some updates on that stuff. Might just do some special releases if we got some cool things going on. Hoping to grab a few people and get some of their thoughts while we're out there, if we can figure that out logistically. But uh, going to be out in Vegas. Hope you enjoy this conversation with Brian Soja, and then we'll line up some great folks to talk to uh, when we return. So, uh, as always, follow us uh, on Twitter at Rec Poker, the Facebook group Rec Poker, or give me a shout, stevefredland at gmail.com if you want to connect. Uh, with that, let's turn it over and hear what the young Mr. Brian Soja has to say. Well, welcome everybody. Sitting here and actually Skyping here with Mr. Brian Soja. What's going on, Brian? Uh, not much, Steve. It's been, uh, <laughs> I just got back from Vegas a couple days ago, so I'm, I'm finally fully recovered now, two days later. But uh, just looking forward to chatting with you. I've always enjoyed, enjoyed uh, you know, letting you pick my brain and me picking yours. And you've done a, a lot of great things for the poker community in Minnesota, which I appreciate. So thanks well, for having thanks, me. Thanks for that. I don't know how much you're picking my brain, but I'll pick your brain. That's the that's the <laughs> advantage of doing these podcasts that I get to hear from the greatest players in the state and people that have gotten to know a little bit. Uh, your generosity uh, from All In For Africa has been huge. So thanks for that. But I'm always trying to pick your brain. I'm always trying to figure out how you play and how it is that you always end up with my chips. So uh, I, I have an ulterior motive here, and that's to figure out uh, how it is that you play. So. Well, you're, you're one of the one of the very few people that I end up with chips from lately. Yeah, okay, come on now. <laughs> I don't buy that for a second. But why don't we just start a little bit, talk a, talk a bit about, uh, I know you've kind of got an interesting journey in terms of how you got into poker. So tell me a little bit about that story, and then take us through to like what you're now playing like where do you play what do you play do you play live cash tell us sure. a little bit about your story and, and what you're doing now sure um so like a lot of people probably from my generation are i'm, I'm not i'm not in the i'm not in my 20s or 30s anymore but a lot of a lot of people around my age that still play the game and have a passion for the game probably learned it the same way i did which was growing up as a, as a child and and seeing it uh, as a game that my father used to play, um, he used to have a not a not a regular like weekly or for sure every month uh, home game, but it was a, it was a fairly regular game when I was really really young, and um, it was a seven card stud game. Uh, it wasn't a dealer's choice game; it was strictly seven card stud, and I used to just watch and um, I, I didn't you know I I taught myself how to how to like do um, early math, like addition, subtraction, uh, some little multiplication and stuff, just from a deck of playing cards on my own. Mm. Um, I never went to kindergarten, uh, stuff like that. I I just learned how to do math on my own from playing cards. I think it, I was an only child for many many years, and so I played by myself. But anyway, uh, so I would I would watch them play, and 
um, and this is, you know, five, six years old. And after a while, I, you know, I started asking my dad, hey, let me play, let me play, which, you know, <laughs> five, six-year-old kid, nobody wants to let them play. Well, uh, eventually they, they did let me play, and I did extremely well and so then you know my dad was like i'm sorry i'll never let my kid play again yeah that's and not like, very humbling at all yeah <laughs> and then they're they're like well no let him let him play again we need to try and get our money back and, and then i the next couple i i kept winning and so then they wouldn't let me play anymore um and that's where really my love of poker come comes from is from those early experiences um I I always stayed with the game as I grew up. Uh, I was a football and hockey player. Whenever we went to camps or far away travel or whatever, you know, the, and the guys would get together in our you know uh, dorms or whatever, and we'd play whatever poker games. And I would always rack those up. And um, it, I had my first tournament experience underage uh, with a fake ID at a casino. And I'm not going to say which one. I don't want to get anybody in trouble. And you know, statute of limitations, I'm sure, are way gone. But. I'm sure it was somewhere in Europe, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what it was. So. <laughs> um, but it was a it was a seven card stud tournament, um, and I just I was like, I gotta I gotta find out how to do this or see see what I really know. And I ended up winning. Um, <laughs> and after that, I was I was just kind of hooked. While I was in, I, but I, I always around card games and like strategy games and and things like that. I've always been fascinated with those types of things i'm not i'm not real big into luck games but anything that there's strategy around um i i'm fascinated by uh big chess player uh at one point that was i was like nationally ranked in risk of all things mm. that actually is a thing i love risk. Uh, yeah i love i yeah it's a huge passion of mine um but so anyway i i, I played a lot of cards uh like uh in college and, and such like that um, this is going back 25 years and, um, would just play in a lot of home games and find out about them. And then I, I kind of fell off for a little while. And then, uh, I started playing online in the early days of party poker before the WPT and before the moneymaker boom and stuff like that when, when it was kind of in its infancy. Um, so I was around when the boom happened, uh, which was also very nice for me. Um, <laughs> But I, all those years, I, I actually just mostly stuck with playing cash. And then a few years ago, um, I was, you know, there was the egotistical side of me that said, you know, I, I make a, a pretty good amount of money just playing cash, but all these tournament guys are the ones that get all the accolades. And so heading into, in 2012, I said, I'm, I'm going to take a shot. I'm player of the year for 2013 for Minnesota. Okay. And... April rolls around and I'm like, ah, oh, I haven't played any tournaments yet. I'm not really doing well on the POI. I should, I should go play a tournament. And so I, I, I played the MSPT down at, at Canterbury and I ended up taking second. Hmm. Uh, and then I'm like, ah, oh, well that, that was easy. Uh, and so I started playing a little bit more and then I won the anniversary tournament at running aces just a couple months later and I was off and running and I was in the top 10 and everything was great. Um, and then my second son was born in, in November and I stopped playing again. So, um, so what, since, what year is that then? That was 2013. Okay. Uh, since then, um, I, I really, I, you know, I used to play almost every night. Uh, I would be playing cash or whatever tournament kind of fit my fancy or whatever, but mostly cash since he was born. Um, 
I really have taken a step back from poker. Um, I still, I still coach. I still have a number of students. Um, I have something kind of in the works that I don't really want to talk about just yet, but it's pretty exciting. That's, that's coming fairly soon. Um, and then, uh, you know, I play here and there. Obviously, now in the last couple of years, I started working at Running Aces as a dealer, poker floor, tournament director. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not my job. My job is really to just be a dad now. Yeah. So I just kind of pick and choose. I don't I don't play cash as, as, as much as I'd like to, and I don't play as many tournaments as I'd like to uh, right now. But um, those, day, those days will come again. Yeah, there's certainly there's a season for everything. And I mean, kudos to you for... You know, looking at your family situation, whatever that is, it's different for everybody. But realizing, you know, the best place for me right now is really be with my kids and take care of things there and, you know, fit in poker as it works and, you know, fit in the job as it works and that sort of thing. And I think that's a that's a great statement on on who you are. And I'm sure it's I'm sure you're dying to <laughs> you're chomping at the bit to get back on the felt more <laughs> regularly. But I am. And that's you know, that's that's what poker's always been for me, though, even though I, I have a strong passion for it it's always been a means to an end for me. And that is, you know, I could, it, it's a, it was a job where I could spend all day and even the evening with, with my family, but then still go to work. Right. right? And so, cause then, cause the best cash games are always at night. Everybody kind of knows that. I mean, cash games during the day are rarely good. Um, I mean, you can make a profit, but it's going to be very small because nobody ever wants to gamble. But, um, you know, it allowed me to spend a lot of time with my family and and still have have regular income. I've I've had a lot of jobs in the past where, you know, I'd be working anywhere between sixty and eighty hours a week and never see my family. Well, right. That's, that's that's not anything I'm interested in. So, having playing poker um, for a living and and being able to do that after family time uh, was was a, a big thing for me. And so. Um, the fact that I did have those tournament scores in 2013 was nice because then that really made a big bump in my in my bankroll and allowed me to to take a step back for the last few years and not play a lot uh, and not have to worry about money coming in. Yeah, all good stuff. Hey, so before we before we shift gears, uh, the yeah. whole the whole Patriots fan thing. <laughs> well, I mean, what, are, what are we talking about here? Are you from New England, or do I no. just have to be annoyed with you because you're a Minnesotan that wants to root for a winner? What's going on here? Um, so I, I, I'm not from the New England area. I'm Minneapolis, born and raised. Um, <laughs> back in 1985, uh, with the Chicago Bears, uh, the Patriots faced them in the, the Super Bowl that year. And watching that game, and I, I mean, everybody knows it was a, it was a complete and utter blowout. Um, Is that I like Steve Grogan days, or what are we talking about? Yeah. Yep. Uh, that would be Steve Grogan and, and William the Refrigerator Perry sure. down in the Super Bowl. And Super oh, was that Bush. that year? Was that the year? The yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. Okay. So, you know, I was watching that game, and again, just as a, you know, a, a small child at that point, um, watching that game and watching how the Patriots actually walked off the field with their heads held high hmm. um, really spoke to me. At that point, and like you know, I mean, they got crushed seventy-two to three. I think that's, I think that's right. Uh, but it was, it was, it was disgusting. And but I was like, you know what? They're they're not, you know, they're not walking off the field like they didn't belong there, or that they had anything to be ashamed of. And I that that really kind of spoke to me. 
Um, and ever since then, I'm like, you know what? This is this is my team. I, I still follow the Vikings. Uh, I I rue the day that if the Vikings and Patriots ever meet in the Super Bowl, <laughs> my, my entire family's going to disown me. Yeah, that'll uh, be the day that I I take this episode off the air. Yeah, <laughs> my my mom actually still blames me for the wide left Gary Anderson kick because she called me before that game and said, we're going to the Super Bowl. I'm like, no, oh. no you're not. And and so she, she says it's my fault. Oh. Uh, but that's that's where that's okay. where the thing started. And then it became like an, a love of all Boston sports. Um, I, 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 I love the Red Sox. Um, so that's been a good run for me over the last yeah, 10 years. Yeah, yeah, nice to pick a winner. You know, yeah. you're welcome yeah. for David Ortiz and Kevin Garnett. I mean, you're welcome. Right. Yeah, it's been it's been great. The the Boston sports resurgence has a lot to do with former Minnesota yeah. cast. So, I mean, whatever we can do to develop talent for you. Yeah. It's it's been a good run, but you know, there was a lot of losing years. And so I I feel for Minnesota, but I'll buy the same token now. I'm like, yeah, but we're we're winners now. So, yeah. All right. All right. Well, we just need to get to the bottom of that because, you know, I see yeah. this I see this Patriots logo everywhere I see your name, and I, yeah. I need to well, understand. I'm, I'm currently sitting at my desk in a Patriots throw <laughs> blanket, drinking coffee out of my Patriots <laughs> mug, uh, looking at my Patriots phone, all of that. So. And at this point, all of our listeners have just shut the thing off, so <laughs> I, sh- I should have saved that question for the end. <laughs> Well, let's let's get into a little bit of a uh, little bit more of the poker side of things. Um, yeah. You know, I, I'm curious. You know, as somebody who's had a lot of success, um, and now you've got time to think about this. But like, what as, as you look back on the history of you playing cards, like what are some of those things that maybe used to be weaknesses for you uh, that you somehow worked to improve, and how did you get better at those? Uh, the the reason I ask this is a lot of the folks that are listening right now are people that are trying to move from you know from the bar league into home games, from home games into the the weeklies at running aces or whatever, and, and and they know they have these these weaknesses. Sometimes they know what they are. Sometimes they, they don't know what they are, but they, they're trying to be diligent and improve those. And so I'm curious, like, how did you recognize those, and then how did you improve those? Um, you know, I, I think that one of the things that was n- not necessarily a, a weakness of mine, but it was just a – it was something that I needed to, to work on. Um, was understanding the value of a tournament buy-in, uh, and especially as we start, as we've been seeing a lot of tournaments now have unlimited re-entries. Um, this is becoming a, a bigger and bigger issue. Um, for me, you know, I've I, I, I've never, well, not never, but for a long time, I really haven't had to worry about where my next paycheck was coming from or if I had the funds to play whatever I wanted to play or buy whatever I want or anything like that. So um, understanding the value of a tournament buy-in was something that I, I realized that I, <laughs> I, I didn't really have a full grasp on uh, when I would go to running aces and, and you know, at one point, the the ladies' edge tournament, the first one ever. Like I personally funded ten percent of that prize pool with all my buy-ins. Um, <laughs> Sounds a little know. bit like All In for Africa. <laughs> yeah, it does sound like All In for Africa. Uh, but but you know, I how how I kind of realized it is I went to I, I went up to the cage on one particular tournament or whatever, and the 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 guy working at the cashier's counter um, whipped out his lighter when I walked up there. <laughs> and, and, 
and pretended to light my player card on fire um, as I was handing him cash. And and while it was a, it was a funny joke, and mm-hmm. I and I already knew that about myself. Like th- there is something about tournament poker, especially when there are uh, a, either a certain number of reentries allowed or an unlimited number of reentries allowed. There is some strategy that goes into playing that because you know you when it comes to tournament poker, stack sizes everything. And so, you know, sometimes you'll take chances early on because you, you're trying to build a big stack. And if you miss your, you know, straight flush draw or whatever, you can always just reload. Mm-hmm. So there is something to that. But by the same token, I think it, it's easy to get lost in, well, I can just reload. Um, it, it, especially when it comes, when it's a cash player transitioning to tournament, that happens a lot. You know, in cash games, you can buy in for whatever you're buying in for, you know, in Minnesota, let's say you're playing to 100 and, you know, kind of the standard buy ins 300. Well, if you lose a three, if you're going to go play that game, you understand that you're probably not just going there with $300 in your pocket. You're going there with anywhere between six and 12 to 1500 mm-hmm. because, you know, things happen and you could get cooler right away and, and whatever. So you have enough to, to reload well, I kind of started that way with tournaments, and you can see it because that's where I came from was cash, where, oh, well, I'm playing this 150, but there's unlimited entries for the first however many levels. So, you know, much like cash, I'm going to have, you know, $800, $900 with me, and I'll just I'll reload a few times if I need to. Hmm. Uh, and with each one of those buy-ins, your, your ROI, just it, it just gets crippled. You know, with tournaments... You can you can go you know twenty thirty tournaments in a row and never cash right um, and if you're going twenty thirty tournaments in a row and not cashing and that includes multiple buy-ins to those twenty thirty tournaments uh, now your ROI is you know uh, it, it approaches zero so much it goes negative mm-hmm. uh, so it, that was something that I you know and I, I work with my students a lot on on bankroll management and, and would and, and could talk that talk but then I realized that I wasn't actually doing that myself um, and so that was that was something where I had to readjust how I was accounting for multiple buy-ins um, and now I just I I really don't do a lot of multiple buy-ins like I used to even though everybody kind of thinks that I do and I'm still kind of they still think I'm crazy or whatever but um, the, the people who really know me or whatever really know that I, that's something I, I've, I've worked hard on, even with my limited kind of tournaments the last couple of years. It's uh, it's one, maybe two bullets at most. Um, so is that because you're you're just choosing not to rebuy in spots that you normally would have rebought, or are you actually strategically playing different to avoid uh, as many I, rebuys? You're not maybe taking those those flips as much or something. It's a it's a slippery slope to start changing your strategy based on mm-hmm. whether or not you're going to reload. So it's it's not about that. It's really just about being smart with where you're spending your money. And there are times in a tournament where if it's early enough and it makes sense that that the value's still there, uh, you know, it's super still super deep stacks or, or something like that. Then by all means, I'll I'll go ahead and do it. But even in a in a tournament like you know the running Ace of Signature series events or something like that, if if I'm playing the you know the last starting flight and out of six and the numbers are way down for that tournament, well, if I haven't already bagged yet, mm-hmm. then 
point in me trying to fire again because I can't I can't get a chip stack buyback, which is another way to add value to that second buy-in. I can't get the accumulator. Those types of things that can add value to those extra bullets, if they're not there, then it really becomes about, all right, are there you know, 500 and some odd entries at this point, or are there 800 entries? Because I really need to assign a, a much greater value to the second bullet than I did the first. So it's really about, in, in a sense, it's like um, you have an individual hand and you have an individual decision and you're really looking at what's the highest EV play. You're sort of stepping back from a tournament perspective and saying, is this a, a positive EV move? Yep, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Um, Earlier this year, I, I joked about it on Twitter. I drove down to Meskwaki to play the MSPT, the their hundredth, uh, their their big hundredth right. uh, event deal. And you know they had said that there was going to be cake or whatever. And I, I drove down for the first day one. <laughs> they said there's going to be cake. That was what it, that's what it took, huh? Yeah. Well, I was going down there anyway. But it, where where the cake comes in is I busted in the first half hour, and you know so I I had spent you know, four hours in the car to, to go play this event. And I busted in the first half hour. And then I was like, well, the, is the value still here for me to, to fire a second bullet? And I was talking to some people on break. I, I waited around and talked to some people. And, and at the end of the day, the value was there, but what I had to give up when family time and whatever for that second bullet to come back down on Sunday, cause I wasn't going to be able to stay there the whole weekend the overall decision was, no, it's, it's not worth it. So then I joked about, because they, they didn't have the cake on Friday, they had it on Saturday's flight, and I was down there on Friday. So then I got back to Minnesota, and I'm like, ah, I drove eight hours to play a half-hour poker, and I didn't even get my cake. You know, so. Did you stop at a gas station on the way home to get some cake? Um, actually, I was, I was smack dab in the middle of the diet that I've been on, oh. and I, it was the first time I had had McDonald's in like three months. Okay. And it was some of the most amazing McDonald's fries I had had in a long, long time. So. Yeah, they're really good when you haven't had them for a while. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, let's, uh, let me just take a quick little break here. I want to thank our sponsor. We'll be right back. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota, featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps, plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit RunAces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. All right, so Brian, let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, here's a question for you. So, if if you could just snap your fingers and add any new element or any improvement to your game, what would it be? Um, experience, and and I say that knowing that I have a lot of experience, but the last few years I haven't been playing nearly as much as I used to, and so there have been there's there's a lot. Poker's an ever evolving game. And that's part of what I love about it. But by the same token, it's really hurting me um, that I haven't been playing as much. While I've still been reading a lot, I still, I, you know, I, I read all the books when they, uh, the newest books when they come out. I, I spend a lot of time reading on the on the blogs and and different strategy sites, and and also talking with my students and and kind of learning what they're experiencing. Dealing helps. Um, for the times that I'm actually paying attention to what's going on. Um, it's, I don't, you know, I find myself in spots now, much more now than I used to, where I don't exactly know what I'm, what I'm going to do, or I, I get surprised by somebody's play. You know, a lot of people, 
they they don't really think about the situation that they're in until they're in it but as a poker player when you when you are you know whether it's pre-flop or flop or whatever you should already be thinking multiple streets ahead and if i if i call here my expectation is that their range is going to be this and so therefore they're going to either do this or this or this and if they do one of those three things here's going to be my response and this is why and i and so for the most part you know, I'm used to being able to not even think about what I'm going to do in those spots because I've already made my plan before I got there. Mm. Well, while I still do that, I'm finding myself in situations where I had a plan and my opponent just shot it all to hell. Uh, <laughs> so I, it's it's something I'm not really accustomed to. So the the experience, when I say experience, it's having a lot more playing experience in the, it, currently. Um, I'm not playing nearly as much online as I used to, and you used to be able to build up a ton of it. You still can build up a ton of experience in, in short, short amount of time. Um, and I'm not saying the game is passing me by, because I, I, in those spots when they do happen, then I, you know, if I take the time to really kind of think about what happened, it, what is going on, then I, I can usually figure it out. Um, but it, it's just nice to, when you have that experience, and so you don't, you don't have to spend a lot of time at the table in that spot thinking about that spot. It just comes naturally to you. And so that's if I could snap my fingers, I would, that's that's what I would do is is kind of be back in what what my normal comfort zone is. That's really good, and I think that's true for so many of us, you know, recreational players that don't get to play as much as we want either. Uh, you know, through these interviews and through conversations and reading books, there there seems like there's just so many things that you're supposed to consider with every decision. And I'm constantly asking, well, how, how do you how do you process all of that? First of all, how do you remember everything that you're supposed to remember? And then how do you process all of those things? And I think the the thing that keeps coming up is a lot of it does become second nature, much like, you know, what position am I in eventually becomes second nature. When you first start, you're thinking about what position am I in? Yeah, um, right. You know, and right. so that's, I agree with that. Like, I would just love to have the experience so that I don't have to constantly try to remind myself of whether it's opening hand ranges or three bet ranges or, you know, making sure that I check the stack sizes of the people that are in the in the pot with me, you know, all of those things that I still have to almost manually try to remember. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it, and it doesn't even necessarily take a, I mean, it does take a ton of experience to become really good and just have it be second nature. But it's kind of like riding a bike. You know, I, <laughs> a few years ago when my oldest son now became old enough to get on a bike, I'm like, well, I better get a, get a bike so that I, you know, we can go on bike rides together. Well, I hadn't ridden a bike in 20 years. <laughs> and they said, well, it's like, you know, there's the old saying of it's like riding a bike. And I'm like, right, it. it's like riding a bike. Let's get on this thing. And while I could ride it, it was some of the ugliest bike riding anybody's ever seen. Um, and But it, it took a while, and it, it, it doesn't really take that long, and then all of a sudden you can ride your bike again. Mm -hmm. Well, same thing for, for me right now with the experience. Because I have such a backlog of experience, even when I do take a step back and don't play as much, when I do have even just short bursts of a lot of activity, then it, then it really kind of comes rushing back. So leading up to the World Series last week when I was out there, I, I was playing a, a fairly decent amount so that when I got there, I would feel really kind of in that groove. And, and even though I didn't, I mean, other than one event, I didn't really go deep in, in anything, a lot of that was, was right there for me. Um, and, and so that, I think that contributed a lot to the one deep run that I did have um, and that I, I, I had that to fall back on. 
uh, and just being back at the table again and, and being a player and, and seeing how people are playing their cards and, and understanding, you know, what their ranges are and, 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 you know, what they're thinking and those types of things. Like it all just comes rushing back and then you stop thinking and you just start playing. Right. Uh, and that's, that's, you know, there's, there's a lot of different types of players out there and I'm, I, while I am a thinking player, I'm a thinking player away from the table generally. Um, there are times when I'm at the table where I'm really kind of thinking about what's going on, but for the most part, I'm, I'm not a feel player, but I, I'm, I'm very much an instinctual player. I just, I kind of let the game come to me. Um, and, and so when I get into that zone where I'm not thinking at all at the table and I'm just, I'm just playing, that's where I'm at my, my most comfortable. That's a good, good way to kind of think about the symptom of how do I know I'm in the zone? How do I know I'm playing my A game if you're... If you're not kind of thinking through strategically uh, some of those things, they're just second nature, and I think that's fantastic. Yep. So now, shifting gears again, I guess when you think about, especially with regard to tournament poker, just because yep. that's, that's all I play. I don't play cash at all. So it's my podcast. I'm selfish, whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I need to know how to beat you. But when you think <laughs> about uh, you know tournament poker specifically, and you can get into cash if you want, but the biggest mistakes that you see players making. So obviously you're playing different different tournaments with different players there's different um you know levels of experience in people but if you could bucket those or specifically what are those mistakes that you continue to see players making all the time that we should maybe pay attention to i think it's different for everyone um i mean every every player makes mistakes but i mean world-class players make sure. mistakes you know every, everybody makes mistakes and i you know this is something, I mean, specifically when it comes to tournaments, one thing that I, I see a lot, and I, and I think that probably other players who have had some, some success at some point in tournaments probably have noticed this as well, um, is when you're at a table or you get to the tournament and, you know, there's, there, there's guys at the table who will go, oh, God, Brian's here, now I'm screwed, or... <laughs> You know, and I'll, I'll joke about that every once in a while, too, because Fox and I, you know, I, I don't know what it is about Fox, but every time that we're at a table together, he's always on my direct left, and he constantly turns the nuts against me. <laughs> uh, and so, like, and he knows, it, it, everybody has that one guy that, for whatever it is, you just, they, they always seem to constantly have you nutted. You bet. Uh, but, but I think that I, I see a lot of recreational players, they, when when someone shows up at the table that has had a lot of success or is really well known or even that they haven't necessarily had a lot of big successes that they're somewhat known um, for being a, a wild player or a nit or something like that. That's something that's kind of uh, almost generally accepted in the poker community about that person. Um, they alter their play and you got to understand that when that person, when this person comes to the table, you know, and I, I'm going to just speak specifically about myself. There's, I know that there's, uh, uh, people think that I'm, I'm a wild card that I'll play any two cards from any position at any point for any amount of money. <laughs> While there's some truth to that, people will really buy into that when I sit down at the table and they will alter how they play. Because I've seen them play when I wasn't there, seen them play against other people, but then they change how they play based on me being there. Right. And while there's some truth and validation for that, you don't know that that's how I'm playing that day. 
And so until you kind of know how the game is flowing on that particular day or that particular session, don't make judgments based on what you think you know about me or how you think I'm playing. Um, I see that a lot. And, you know, for some people, it's they, they lock up and they get timid. They, they don't make the moves that you really need to, to make to be successful because someone that they know, like a professional or someone who's had successes in the hand with them. Um, some people just refuse to fold because they want to get you. Right. Mm -hmm. They want they want to be, you know what? I totally busted Soja and this is what I did and whatever. You know, I'm known for I think the best hand in poker is Queen Three. And if you doubt me, I can show you a bunch of statistics on it. Anyway, um they you know, so they're like, I'm gonna bust him with his own hand or you know, things like that. Right. Um and so, you know, there's there's a bunch of different ways that people will play differently based on who who's sitting at the table and, and that's all fine, well and good, but they take it to extremes. And it gets them in trouble, and it gets them off their game. And I think that that's one of the, you know, I've talked with a lot of pros over the years that one of the things that they, they told me a lot of was once they started having success, they stopped folding. And that was because people were constantly playing back at them so that they could bluff them. You know, the the, the hmm. scene at Founders where... Um, he talks about playing against Johnny Chan at, at, in Atlantic City, and he made Johnny Chan full. You know, he made the play on him. He's like, I don't, I, you know, Johnny, do you have it? And he goes, I don't remember. You know, that everybody wants to have that moment against whoever it is that they kind of look up to in the poker world. And so pros just were like, wow, I just don't fold anymore because they're always trying to bluff me. Mm. And so it's it's not that, but I like I said, I just see people adjusting how they normally play based purely on reputation of someone else at the table, not how they're playing at the time. And I see that constantly. Um, even when I'm dealing in the box, I see it. You know, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be dealing in the box and I'll see someone playing a certain way and then say Eric Wright all of a sudden gets moved to our table because the table broke or whatever, and that person goes into a diff completely different playstyle mode. Before Eric's even really gotten involved in a hand with them or anything like that, they just start changing how they're playing. Do you, do you see them generally going tighter because they don't want to get mixed up or do you see them going looser because they want to beat a player like that i think it, it really kind of depends yeah. on the person you just see and, the but you can see the change obviously when you're dealing much much yeah. easier well and I, I i see it i mean at, a, at a, when i'm dealing i'm only at a table 30 minutes at a time so you're not you're not seeing it as often but i, I see it enough um and but where i really see it is as a player and i, I you know you can really kind of spend time watching how someone's playing and then um mm -hmm. You notice a change. Excuse me, one second. My my son is calling me. Sorry, while no. we were doing this, I I had him take care of my youngest, and he wanted to make sure it was okay to play a video game with him. So no problem at all, man. Your your primary job is as the father. So there yep. you go. We're just giving people insight into your job. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that that's interesting. So any other? I guess if you think about other mistakes you see players make. Um, another another big one is um, undervaluing their stack size. And, and what I mean by that is people go into panic mode way too early. Mm -hmm. well, they were conditioned from years of the WPT of talking about, nope, they're under 20 big blinds or they're under 15 big blinds or now they're down to 10 big blinds. And they're, you know, how many big blinds you have is a, is a, is a very important thing to, to understand and knowing your your show fold ranges based on stack size, position, how many players are left, all of those things do matter. 
but I but I see people going into panic mode way too way too soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm certainly guilty of this. Yeah, and I, I've I've done it in the past too. Um, but for instance, you know the 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 daily deep stack that I played out in Vegas last week. Uh, you know, it was 539 players. We get down to we were paying 81, and you know, for the first like first hour I played, I had like 200 big blinds. I, I had a kind of a fairly big stack early, um, and then it just kind of started. My stack that wasn't really growing as the blinds were going up, mm-hmm. and so it kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller. But the structure of the tournament and and the levels and such like that, like I never went into panic mode about it. And then it it before I knew it, you know, it was down to twenty and less big blinds as we were approaching the bubble. And right after the bubble burst, uh, I took a rough beat and I was down to one and a half bigs. Mm-hmm. Um, and just because I, I, I mean, that's full blown panic mode right there is one and a half big. Uh, but then, you know, I was able to, to, to pick a spot fairly quickly and, and, and double up. And then, um, after that, you know, I, I started being in the, the kind of the five to seven big blind range for, for a long time. And people think, well, you're five to seven bigs. It, you, you just need to shove at any point or you look down at any ace. Well, no, if, if, you know, there's a there's a raise and a call in front of me, right. and I look down at a six offsuit. I what am I what am I really hoping to gain with a shove here? Nobody has any. There's there's no fold equity, so mm-hmm. I'm gonna which okay fine. Instead of just doubling up, I'm gonna quadruple or quintuple up. But what am I really beating? I mean, they're they're gonna have aces, so then I'm down to you know three outs. Uh, no, you know I I'm, right. I'm gonna try to try to pick a. A, a little bit better spot than that. So the, now that same A6, if I'm in the hijack, for instance, and it folds around to me, by mm-hmm. all means, right. shove. So being smart about you know the fact that your stack size is is uh, you know shorter than than what you'd like it to be, and understanding the spots that you can use those that those chips because they still have value. Um, and it's beyond just knowing. Okay, I've been picking. You know, we should pick on that guy's big blind. Okay, well you should. If he's not defending it enough, okay, by all means. But that doesn't mean be dumb with the chips that you have and, um, and pick on that pick on that big blind. And so. I always think there's a big mental piece of that because usually you get there because of a either a bad beat or a failed bluff or you know yeah. whatever. And so yeah. I, I feel like if if you're just dropped into that situation, you know, out of the blue, and you say, okay, here you have eight big blinds, you know, go. I think people right. generally perform far better than having gone through the journey of going from 50 big blinds to eight big blinds and having the, the mental issues associated with that. Cause either, you know, maybe you're embarrassed because of how you played or, you know, you, you tried to hero call and you were wrong or, you know, all of the different ways that you can go from 50 to eight big blinds. I think there's an emotional thing. And I think that's where, um, you know, whether it's through a coach like yourself or through somebody else, you know, how do you overcome that emotional side? So you don't continue to play suboptimally as a result. Yeah, absolutely, and and that's where the experience comes into play again. Because if you if you if you've been in those situations enough times and, and come back from them, then you know what it takes, and you know that it can be done. Which mm-hmm. is a big thing. Because a lot of people think, well, I'm never going to come back from this. Really, the first tournament I ever run at, won at running aces, I was down to an ante, 
Like, <laughs> I, I literally had an ante. I, that's it. That's all I had. And I was able to run it back up and won the tournament. So, And obviously you need a lot of luck to make that happen. But it just, like you said, it, it's the experience of knowing it can happen. So if I can do it with an ante, yep. five big blinds or ten big blinds certainly is not panic mode then. Okay, that's exactly. good. Exactly. And understanding, just understanding the value of those chips. And in relation to, you know, everybody else at the table, in relation to the cash that's being awarded, just understanding the, the value of those chips. And then, like I said, the, the experience of having been through it before. Well, good stuff. Let's take uh, one more quick break and then we'll hit the home stretch. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota. Featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps, plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit RunAces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. All right, so we are back and uh, switching gears once again. Curious <laughs> about, um, you know, somebody with your experience, I often think, well, nobody really intimidates them. You know, you mentioned maybe Fox has your number on some things, and we all have our, you know, the, the one or two people that kind of have our number. But is there a... Is there a certain type of opponent that, um, that that's tough for you to face? Like, you know, I mean, for some of us recreational players, it's the guy that's continually three-betting. Yeah. Uh, for some of us, it, it might be a calling station, even though they, they can pay you off, but it's so frustrating when they keep calling you with nothing and, and hit. Or, you know, are there other types of people that you just say, man, I just, for whatever reason, I just struggle against this player type? Um, the player type I really struggle against uh, is... Um, people who are rude at the table. Oh and yeah, it's it's it it just goes against my core to you know, um, a lot of really good players and, and such they they use table talk to their advantage and and it throws people off tilt and and one of the beauties of of being good at it is you don't just throw people on tilt that you're talking to but then mm -hmm. the other table, um and. And so that's something that I, I struggle with. Um, and so when I know a player like that is coming to my table, like I, I, I have an internal conversation with myself to kind of shut it out. Um, and it's one of the rare times where I will pull my earphones out and, and listen to some music so that I'm not hearing them. Um, but then I feel bad that I'm not sticking up for the, the people that are getting picked on and, and such like that. So I, I struggle with that too. Um, but that's something that, you know, I... I'm all for table talk as long as it's respectful. Right. Uh, I, you know, I, I like to have a lot of fun at the table and I'll, I'll talk and, you know, I like that aspect of the game. That's part of the beauty of poker is that it is a very social game. Um, but when people take it too far and, and such like that, I it tends to, because it, it just kind of goes against the core of who I am, I it, then it starts to throw my game off a little bit. So you can and tell you're trying to play maybe suboptimally or at least, you know, either you want to knock them out or there's just something is off. Yeah, I just know yeah. that something's off. I don't I don't particularly target them or anything like that, but all of a sudden I'm not in my comfort zone. Right. Um, and anytime I'm not in my comfort zone, I just, I don't, I start to question whether I not, whether or not I really am playing my best. Now I still, sometimes I do, and some, but sometimes I don't. And so I, I, I really try to avoid those spots. Like if I'm playing in a cash game 
and someone like that comes to the table and there's another game of the same type being played that I can just do a table change to, I do it. Mm-hmm. Um, just cause I don't, I don't, I don't really need to face that. Now the, the, the part of me that loves experience says, well, no, you know, power through it. Well, if I'm there playing cash, I'm generally there trying to make money and I'm mm-hmm. not there to, to kind of power through something and, and learn from, from that experience. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and make that table change, but, uh, I just, I really struggle with that. I, and, and I, I don't, I, I do know ways to kind of combat that and really, you know, the, the headphone thing is kind of more of a band aid, but it works for me. And so for now I, I just kind of, I kind of stick with that, but that, that really just, just throws me off. And, and part of that though is because it's throwing me off and it, it, or they're doing that, then I know it's throwing everybody else off. So now kind of where I was playing at and, and kind of understood the dynamics of the game, now all of it has changed. Right. Whenever someone comes new to, comes to the table, the dynamics are going to change a little bit. But for the most part, you know, a tiger doesn't change their stripes. And so people kind of play the same way no matter what. Um, but then when someone like that comes to the table and just throws everything out of whack, well, now I'm, I'm having to relearn, you know, start over from scratch and... It, it just, just makes you wonder, you know, if somebody's three betting them, are they doing that because they they have the goods because they normally would yeah. three bet here, or are they just sick of them and they want to push back? And is that an opportunity for you? Yep. And, yeah. and you, I mean, sometimes you can pick up on those. You can just tell, like, oh, they're clearly just upset at that person. And they're playing back at them. You know, you 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 look for spots where people are clearly on tilt towards someone else, and I, right. you know, make a living off that. <laughs> um, but when someone like that that disruptive just comes to the table and is just that way you never know what it's going to be and and so i i that that's the thing i struggle with the most i don't i don't like it so do you just always come prepared do you kind of have a you know whatever a, a backpack or a kit that has certain things in it and you just know okay well i'm, I'm gonna always bring my headphones just because i might encounter this and and if so are there other things that you bring just in case um, I, the headphones is, you know, I actually don't bring them with me enough. Okay. <laughs> I, I find myself forgetting them and I'm like, ah, oh, damn it. Um, <laughs> the, uh, I, you know, it kind of depends if I'm, if I'm playing in a, in a tournament, like there's certain, I, I always have gum with me because depending on the venue and such, you don't necessarily always get service as quickly as you'd like. Um, and, and I need to have water a lot or keep my mouth moist. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I have, I've gum with me a lot. And you can offer it to your neighbor who hasn't brushed their teeth for a week. Exactly. Uh, although I really would, if I didn't work at a casino, I might start like bringing with me aerosol sprays oh, to my goodness. into the air. Uh, cause there's way too many people who don't know what water and soap are. Right. Um, the, uh, <laughs> I, I always have my phone. I always have a backup charger, uh, for my phone. Um, if I'm playing in a, in a, in a big tournament that's going to be, you know, 12, 14, 16 hour day one or something like that, or a, a long day two, I always have like healthy snacks with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and can you bring all that stuff into the Rio with you? Can you bring water and snacks and all that stuff in? Uh, yeah, you can. Um, and for the most part, nobody's going to bother you. Uh, yeah. I mean, well, they're going to bother you inside the Rio for everything else trying to sell you. Well, right. Yeah. I've walked whatever. the gauntlet once, once before. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, it's a annual summer rite of passage, I guess. But um, but there's yeah. not a pro- you're not prohibited from bringing in your own water and snacks and stuff. No, no, you're not. They're they're making so much money on all the all the people who don't have that. So right. 
They're, they're not going to waste their time, you know, busting you for having some almonds with you. Well, there's just too, uh, many, too many entrances to try to man and watch all well, that, that stuff, yeah. too. And, and if they if they really want to piss someone off, who right. just give them a bunch of money to buy into a bunch of tournaments. You exactly. Know? They're, they're not going to waste their time with that. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that I, I that's in my bag all the time is, especially this time of year, it's very pertinent, is I have a, you know, as we're in shorts and t-shirt weather, I'm usually wearing a hoodie, um, usually for Blue Shark Optics, because it's a way for me to keep their logo on me. Um, but I, I'll always have like a, a pair of workout pants in my, in my bag, and then uh, another shirt in addition to my sweatshirt and stuff. And that's because you never know kind of the environment that the, of the casino that you're going to be going right. to. Um, for this, the Rio with the World Series, everybody kind of knows the pavilion is, it, it's like an ice locker and mm-hmm. it's so cold and I don't get cold very easily and I bring extra layers for the pavilion. Um, so those are, those are kind of my, my, my go-tos is, uh, oh, I always, I usually have my Patriots mug. Um, I uh. put, <laughs> I put uh, I put flavoring in my water, so I have that with me. So then I just ask the servers to, to fill my mug with ice water, and then I I make my own drink and, okay. and whatever. Oh, and I always make sure that I have uh, extra just like single dollar bills and five dollar bills and stuff like that, so that I can tip yes. my servers and things like that. Oh, good stuff, man. That's that's super helpful. As I as I prepare to head out to Vegas, it's super helpful to to have all those tips. Yeah. So let, let me ask you one more question here too. So. Sure. Whether you want to say a specific name or it could be, you know, either somebody that you play with quite a bit or it could be an author or somebody that you know, you know, nationally or internationally. But generally, as you look at your game and you say, okay, where do I want to go? Um, and I don't know if you're a vision guy or not. I'm kind of a vision guy. Like, what's what am I aspiring to? Sure. Uh, as you think about where you want to go with your game, is there a, a certain player that, that you emulate or that you look up to somehow? Um, I, I don't... I don't know that there's anyone, um, like as far as their game is concerned, there's or, know, or characteristics of their game or yeah, I, I would go more with that. And there's a, there's a couple different characteristics that I really look up to. One is longevity. Um, and so like Fox, who's been doing this forever, um, and even through black Friday and survived different things and, and whatever without like the, the gigantic successes. I mean, yeah, he, he won the 10 K horse bracelet. Mm-hmm. I'm jealous. Um, but you know, it, it's not like he's Phil Ivy or Daniel Legrano or somebody like that who, right. you know, won millions and millions of multiple bracelets and, and stuff like that. But the fact that he's had longevity through a lot of adversity in, in the poker world is, is something that I really admire and respect. Um, so that is, that is a characteristic that I, you know, I've, I've been around a long time too, but, um, it's, that's, it's still something that I, I have a lot of respect for him for. Um, as far as like my, like how my play style or things that I, that I look at that way, there's two. And one is Daniel Negreanu, just from the standpoint, I've played with him a number of times and something that I really enjoy about him is a lot of people when they play against him for the first time or, or whatever, they, they're like, Oh my God, he's like the nicest guy at the table. And he, 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 he is, you know, we talked earlier about someone that I don't like at the table, you know, someone who's disrespectful and, and such like that with their table talk at the table. He's very good at, at really showing genuine interest in, in people and their stories and their lives at the table while completely taking them apart. You know, <laughs> and right. it's, I, I, you know, that's something that I, I'm like, see, that's how it's done. 
Oh, these... you've got two kids? Now I know exactly how to play against you. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we see a lot of these pros that, that they'll, you know, use table talking in a very negative way. And I, I always say, why can't you be more like Daniel? Like, mm. I, you know, because um, there, there to me is the example of how it should be done. Um, and then the other uh, is, uh, oh, and now his name is escaping me. All I can remember is, is oh, Gus Hansen. Mm-hmm. And now this is an interesting one because Gus Hansen has gone bust multiple times and yeah, and such. Yeah. hyper but aggressive. Yeah, he, he and he he's way more aggressive than than I will ever be, um, he, despite my reputation. Um, <laughs> but what I really do like about his place is his complete unpredictability, and that's something I try to 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 bring. And you've you've played with me enough. Yeah. I think you've seen that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, I'll turn over hands in certain spots and people are just like, what? Yeah, it's, it's, but, it's, but I've never viewed it as reckless. I know, see, I know you've got a method to your madness. For me, it's just going back and trying to figure out, okay, what was he doing there? Because I know there's a method to the madness. So not well, reckless, but but calculated yeah, creativity, I guess. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of like, that's my... That's where I try to hang my hat. That's where I think my mark or my niche in the in the poker world is. Is that I I I look at poker and and hands and, and such in a much different way than most people. Um, I look at it a lot differently than most of the things you're going to read in the books that are out nowadays. Um, and I'm not saying that they're wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just I I have a, a much different viewpoint um, on it and and. I'll incorporate that kind of information, uh, but I just I, I I kind of that's my that's my you know stake in the ground is I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna play this a lot differently than most people. Um, I have a I have a hand that I actually dub nobody plays it like I do, uh, and, my, <laughs> and my best friend uh, and it's it's nine deuce. Um, so I you know I'm. I'll flip over nine deuce, and they're like, "How the hell do you have that?" I'm like, "Well, nobody plays it like I nobody do. plays it like you do because everybody else yeah. is folding it." Yeah, I say nobody plays it like I do. Well, now, like my best friend, he calls himself the nine deuce kid because he's he's seen me play it enough, and whatever, and he tries to he aspires to, to play. He's, it he's bought into the system, the queen three yeah. nine deuce system. Yeah, and, and so you know, he calls himself the nine deuce kid, and and we'll get involved in a hand, and and I'll end up folding, and before he flips his hand over, I'll say nice hand, kid, and sure, <laughs> he'll show it to me. And then we have another friend that plays with us fairly regularly, who we call him the nine deuce ranger. Uh, so you know, it's that type of thing that that's that's you know, I I, I like that about Gus that he's very unpredictable. Um, I don't want to be reckless like I feel he is all too often. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's actually one of the best poker books I ever read was the Gus Hansen book. Um, Did they every, read by handle? Yeah, Every Hand Reveal. Yeah. Very interesting, like, reading his thought processes. I, I, I've read a lot of poker books over the years, but that's the one that I, like, I really kind of connect the most with because as scary as it sounds, him and I think a lot alike. Uh, <laughs> and so... You know that's 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 a little scary, but yeah, I, that's that's my stake in the ground. I'm I, I like to be unpredictable. Um, I I just don't I don't want that's that's poker though, right? If you're always playing the same way every time, then you're exploitable. Well, and, you got you know you got to give action to get action. You got to I mean all of those things come into play yeah. as well. People always wonder why their aces or their sets don't get paid off, and well because the only time you're 
you know, the only thing you've ever shown is monsters. And so it's yeah. harder to get paid off there. Yeah. So, you know, we've got to wrap up and literally I could talk to you for hours. I think I'd said, let's do 20, let's do 20 or 30 minutes and it's been an hour. You know, so. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I apologize. You asked me an open-ended question. I don't shut up. No, I, I love I, it, dude. It's fa- It's fantastic. No, it's, it's, this is really, really good. Really, really helpful. Um, love to circle back to you at some point and, you know, do more hand history, some specific things, but, um, as we, as we close off, I guess, is are you currently taking students or, um, yeah. you know, is that an active thing that you're doing? Should people contact you or are you pretty much got what you're going to do? And Yeah, no, um, I, I, I'm always open to, to working with someone. Um, I think that one of the things about coaching that, that sometimes people get a misconception that they have to spend a ton of time with their coach mm-hmm. and, and or they can only have one coach. And I, I don't I don't believe in that. Um, I, I think that, and I work with a lot of people who have multiple coaches that, that work on different parts of their game. You know, some people have a coach that just works with them on their cash game. Some people have a coach that then works on them with their MTTs or their SMGs or, you know, and a lot of people should, um, have someone that helps them kind of with the emotional side of the game or, um, Mm -hmm. preparation and those types of things. And so I, you know, I, I'm not an all-encompassing coach, but I'm very good at helping you with particular aspects of whatever it is that you're looking for. I can help with that. So um, I, I always take on – well, not always because if I ever do reach capacity, I'll, I'll say so. But um, I'm very – and I'm not one of these types of coaches that, well, it's going to be you know $500 an hour, well, $200 an hour or something like that. I, I tend to work with people based on where their bankroll is at and, and how much they're going to use me. So – um, by all means, if there's anyone out there that thinks that they can benefit by working with me, um, I'm more than happy to talk with them. Typically how I work it out is I, you know, I have a questionnaire that is boilerplate that I send to everyone. Uh, and if, and once they answer that, then I kind of come up with a profile and how I think I can help them and, and what particular aspects I can help them with. And then we go from there. So, uh, anyone can, anyone can reach me on Twitter, MNPatsFanPoker. Uh, my email address, soja.brian at, at gmail.com. Uh, you can also tag me through my website, even though I haven't posted on my website in a, in a couple of years. <laughs> um, it's still active, and I still get uh, messages and notifications from it. So you can go to briansoja.com and, and message me there. Any any avenue through that, by all means, feel free to reach out to me, and uh, we'll see we'll see how I can help. Yeah, certainly. If there people out there are listening, if you're interested, get a hold of Brian. Uh, if you miss some of that, and you, uh, you get a hold of me, and I can connect you as well. Uh, I mean, I know you, you know, better than some of the people that I've interviewed. Um, you know, I mean, my impression of you is, you know, just a just a good just a good guy. And so, you know, as, I got you as, as you guys are looking at you know potential coaches and who's out there and how you want to improve your game, if you're looking for a guy who's going to be, you know, I guess really really honest, really transparent, and just a a good guy to get to know and eventually become a good friend of yours. Probably. I think Brian is a, is a great option for y'all. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm flattered that you would even say those things. So well, thank you. you know, later I'll edit that out and tell the <laughs> truth, but since you're on the line right now, no, I mean, seriously, I think, you know, I have a lot of respect for you as a person first and foremost. Uh, and then your game, uh, based on what I've seen of it, uh, destroys me. So I think that's a, it's a, it's a pretty lethal combination for, for a coach. And, and like you would say, probably even like with your Gus Hansen thing and with coaching, it's, it all comes down to personality. It's got to be a good personality fit. Like, yep. you know, I tried to play a certain style. And I'm like, that's just not me. Yeah. I can force myself to do it, but it's not me. And so you think yep. about your framework for how you play and your 
you know, how, you know, what tournaments, you know, whether it's tournaments or cash or all of those things, I think largely are based on our experience and our personality on, on what's a good fit. And so coaching, I don't think would be any different. Yeah, absolutely. I've actually told people that who have come to me asking for coaching, they're like, teach me how to play like you do. Hmm. And if, and if I know that they're, they're just, they're, they're just a rock and they're, they're never, ever, ever going to consider like, Nine Play, I you know I won six bet a ten four offsuit pre flop that you know it was a bet or it was a raise call raise call raise call into me and I just looked around the table I'm like right. everybody hates their hand and I'm gonna raise again and so I did and then everybody ended up calling but, anyway, but <laughs> it, you're not supposed it, to say that part yeah well no because it actually ended up working out because then the flop came ten ten four and, and I and I got paid off so. See, this is the kind of stuff you can learn from Brian Soja. How to flop a full house when you six bet with ten four. Yeah, exactly. Just <laughs> how, just have how to have a sick deck read is really what right. you learn from me. Um, but you know, if I know that you're the type of player that would never even consider the possibility that right. you should consider doing that, then I'm going to tell you right up front. You don't want to learn how to play like me. Now, if you want to work with me and we can figure out what your play style is and how I can help you enhance that. Yes, let's work together. But don't don't just come to me and say, teach me how to play like you do, because I, I, I can't change who you are. Right. All I can do is help you build on the strengths that you have while shoring up the, the weaknesses. Yep, well said. Well, any, uh, any final words of wisdom for our Rec Poker listeners? Uh, keep listening to Rec Poker, because uh, you're doing great things, and the people that you're talking with and the insights that are being shared for for free um are invaluable uh, a lot of us that are talking with you you know we 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 get paid to share some of the knowledge that that we're sharing on this podcast and you know we're more than happy to, to do these podcasts a lot of that is just because of the respect that we have for you as a as a wow. person steve and and the love we have for the game and 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 really honestly being part of the poker community in minnesota you know it's something i'm, I'm very proud of we have a rich history of, of poker here so um keep listening to rec poker um because that it's it's gonna it's gonna help your game well, i appreciate that young man and we'll take a you just didn't, you just didn't realize that i paid everybody else <laughs> <laughs> all right well, well we'll chat with you later brian thanks again for your time and uh thanks for having me all right take care YouTube. Well, there we go. Another episode of Rec Poker in the books. Hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did with the fantastic Brian Soja. Once again, follow us on Twitter at Rec Poker, Facebook. We got a group, Rec Poker. Reach out to me directly, stevefredland at gmail.com. Thanks to Running Aces, our official sponsor of the Rec Poker podcast, and also thanks to the Free Poker Network, who is also supporting what we're doing. When I talk to you next, I will have some results from myself in Vegas. I uh, hope to hear about some other great deep runs in Vegas by some of the some of the folks that I've gotten to know. Uh, just actually today, just heard about uh, Max Havlish final tabling the MSPT at the Venetian. Not part of the World Series of Poker, but a very nice uh, 40k payday for Max, one of the other great guys who for sure we're going to have on the show. So uh, I'd love to hear about the stories of Minnesota poker players running deep. So good luck to you all out at the World Series of Poker. I hope to run into some of you out there. But until then, we will chat with you next time.